You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. Take your Bible to the book of Philippians. I also want to remind you, one of the great things about technology, it allows us to be able to, to make information accessible. And so I do realize that I can come across, in my mind, I'm talking very slow and articulating everything perfectly. But I think sometimes through my mind and mouth, it comes out very rapidly and and uh, I talk fast. And so every week what I do is I take my sermon outline, the, the, what I have been studying and uh, the main points of my message, and I make that available. Uh, I have a little a sermon site, pastorjohnbeck.com. It's not a manuscript. It's just my notes. And so you can actually use your smartphone or if you have a tablet or some type of device that you can log on, you can log on right this second. To, it's in the bulletin, pastorjohnbeck.com, and you can follow along. And, and uh, it, it'll, uh, it makes it easier, I think, especially today because we have to cover an entire chapter. And so all week I kept trying to figure out how can I stop, and you just can't. So um, it will be fine. We'll get through it. And I feel a lot better knowing that you have access, that you can at least follow along. I can talk just a little bit faster. So turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. For those that may be new to us this week, we as a community are involved. And I say community. I mean all of Highlands County and beyond, even the fringes of our county, a lot of what I would call evangelical Bible-believing churches have joined in to 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we've, uh, everyone in participating has had a devotional. We still have some devotionals left over here to my right on the little ledge of this first window. And we've been going through the devotional, which is through the book of Philippians. And then every morning at 6.30 throughout the county. And then every day at lunch throughout the county, there have been prayer sites. So every day, Monday through Saturday, we've been meeting in here and we've been praying. Uh, I share the passage for the day. Someone shares the passage of the day. And then we're just praying. That's been going on now. This is the 14th day. And so tonight, uh, all of our churches that are involved with that are going to be meeting at Grace Bible Church at 6 o'clock. Uh, if you go down and, and you were going to turn into the Lowe's and, and where Starbucks, that's Thunderbird Road. Take a right there if you're going south. Grace Bible is the second church on the left. The first church is Grace Church. The second church is Grace Bible Church. The second church. Uh, and um, there is actual a sign, Grace Bible, the second church. Uh, the doors are going to open at 515. There's going to be a lot of people there. And so if that is something you are interested in coming, there's going to be, uh, it's mainly singing and worship, and then there's going to be some transitional messages in between the songs, tying everything together. Uh, I have been asked to speak, and I'm on a timer. Pray for me. <laughs> I don't want to get banished from the other pastors right out of the chute. I'm going first, and so I won't tell you how much time they gave me, because then you'll ask the same for me each week here, and I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> 
So it's going to be a great time of coming together as the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you to do that if you could. Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read all the chapter. And then we're going to go through it quickly, verse at a time. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, here's a key phrase, rejoice in the Lord. Key phrase, rejoice in the Lord. To write these same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we, the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself may have confidence in the flesh also, and as I read here in verse 5 and following, you're going to understand that what Paul is dealing with is the Jewish law in Judaism and the idea that who we are in Christ and trying to go back and live under the law and what the law represented, and it was infiltrating the church. And he says, listen, I have no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in the law. I have no confidence in what I was as a Jew because if anyone else has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Because I was circumcised on the eighth day. Verse 5, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And Paul is saying, listen, if anybody was, was able to say they lived the letter of the law and they will live according to what the law stood for and what work stood for, Paul is saying, listen, no one was better than I was. But, look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, key, key phrase. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's the key phrase. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him, even in his death. And that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, have this attitude, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God reveal it also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul to us today. We thank you, Lord, that they are your words for us today. Allow us to understand where to find that joy this morning. And Lord, allow us, as Paul encouraged the church, to stand firm in the Lord. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What I'd like to do is to go through this text, and here's the focus aspect. Here's the key. Rejoice in the Lord. And you see that verse 1, it says, rejoice in the Lord. And this is what uh, chapter 3 is about. Paul saying, rejoice in the Lord. And I'm going to tell you what it means to rejoice in the Lord. So chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. And it looks forward and summarizes what chapter 3 is about. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, it talks about standing firm in the Lord. It is looking backwards and summarizing what we have learned in chapter 3. And so as we take this entire section, we're seeing rejoice in the Lord. And we think about that word rejoice, we think about the word joy, to have joy. It is one of my favorite words. Sometimes I think we take the word joy and we mingle it with happy. Happy, if you look at it from a standpoint of, of phonetically and what the word means and you look at things in scripture, the word happy means an external thing that is happening that brings you joy. Food, you know, the Pizza Hut buffet bar makes me happy. <laughs> you know, and, and 45 minutes later, I come back to the church and I tell Judy, no calls for the next hour. I'm going to be praying <laughs> with a carb, in a carb coma. For those that don't get that, you will. The first time you, you eat a big lunch and you want to take a nap, you've, you've crossed into the threshold of you are now old. It makes me happy, but only for a little while. The world, we seek our, our happiness in the world and, and our fame and our fortune, our stuff and our things. Have you ever noticed that when you seek for happiness in the world, you're looking for that next fix, that next happiness? You know, you think me, for example. National championship. Yes! They lost. The Falcons play the next weekend. They lost. I'm still unhappy. But what if I just simply said, you know what, I do like sports, but my joy is not in them. You might be disappointed for about five minutes and then you move on. And I, I get very spiritual at a big loss. I looked over at Sharon when she was weeping and wallowing on the floor. And I said, honey, it's just a game. Jesus is still on his throne. 
I know that freshman quarterback's going to be there three years. It's going to be okay. That is joy. And so when we see people living life day to day, and they're this, they're living in happiness. But when you look out into the world and you see an Apostle Paul who went through all that he has gone through, all that happened to him, all the circumstances, my goodness, he's in jail writing this right now. He's in jail for being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you look at him and you say, why does he have such joy? He says, I have joy because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's what we need to be about. And for these 21 days, I know myself, uh, we're on day 14. My goal has not been some superficial thing that we can accomplish out here. I've had a selfish goal these 21 days, that I would know who he is in a greater way. And that because I have known him in a greater way, I've understood who I am as I relate to him in a greater way. And if that's the case individually, it's going to affect our churches, and it will affect our community, and it can affect our county, and it can affect our, our state. But if we get ahead of ourselves and we're asking God to do something out here, he'll never do it until we allow him to do it in here. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. Here's how we can do it. I'm going to let you, if you you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. Before you leave today, I want you to know that you can have joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will listen to the Spirit and listen to the Word, you can leave here today in having joy in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy in our salvation of who He is. Joy in my salvation. Joy in my relationship with Him. Joy as I live for Him. It's not about just a decision that we make. It's a decision that we make that transforms the way that we live. Joy in the life that I'm living. Joy in what's ahead of me. Joy in all the circumstances of life. That's what the gospel does. That's what Paul had. As we read his letters inspired by God Himself, we see a man with great joy. Well, let's look there, the first part there in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We can rejoice that we know, and this is kind of worded kind of weird, but just, just bear with me. We can rejoice in knowing there is a truth. I can rejoice because there is a truth. There is a, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Another way to say that, I can rejoice in grace and not works. You say, well, where does that come from, Pastor? Well, look at the word. Notice what it says here. Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord to write these things. Look out for. So what Paul is saying is, okay, we can have joy in the Lord. We can have joy in the Lord because we know there is a truth. There is an absolute. That there is this idea of grace and that I don't have to do anything to be saved. That I can rejoice in the truth that I know that there is a gospel. Paul is saying this, look out for dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. There's something out there that is not true, and it's called works. Be careful of of works. And so the law was given in the Old Testament as a good thing. Okay. Sometimes when we preach and teach, we come across, the law is bad, the law is bad, the law is bad. No, the law was given as a good thing to point us to the great thing. 
So when the great thing arrived, the Lord Jesus Christ, the law, he didn't, I didn't come to, uh, to abolish the law. I just came to fulfill it. I'm what the law pointed to. So the law was a good thing. And it pointed to Christ. So in the Old Testament, here's the law. And the law was given so that you know that you can never please God. And there has to be a mediator. There has to be some reconciliation for your sin. Instead of taking the atonement offering to the, uh, to the temple, you don't have to do that anymore. Jeremiah says there's going to be a new covenant. And it's going to be an eternal covenant. And it's going to be an internal relationship. And not an external relationship based on the law. And so when that law come, is fulfilled, you'll know it. Well, the problem was the law had come and they want to recognize it I think it's, it can be even evident here today that we forget what grace is there's nothing you can ever do to satisfy God's wrath and the punishment of sin there's nothing you can do no one in here is perfect no not one no one is going to please God with anything they take to him unless you're coming to him through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ our righteousness is this filthy rag. You may be sitting here this morning and you say, well, I'm not really into religion. I'm not really a believer, but I'm okay. You're not okay. That's what the devil says. You're okay. You're not okay apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Watch out. I mean, what a, what a classic. The dogs, not the dogs, the dogs. Evildoers. Mutilators. Now, what, what's the picture you have there? Dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh, almost like a reliving a night of the zombies or something. Paul says that is how serious it is that we keep our eye open, have no confidence in any of that, have no confidence that you think that I'm okay and I can just do a good moral life and I'll be okay. One of the funny things that we, we've talked about, I think Joy and I were engaging in this conversation one time about you know the old youth mentality of you would go to youth group and it was like, don't drink, don't smoke, and don't have sex. And if you just did these things, you were okay. Well, there's some truth to that. But you cannot do that apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about do's and don'ts and wills and won'ts. It's about I want to live a life. The truth is I don't have any confidence in the flesh. So when Paul said that, he's saying you don't have to. He's pointing us to the truth. Rejoicing that there is a true gospel. Notice what it says. Look out for anything that teaches different anything that goes against the gospel, anything that will pull you back into that lifestyle. It says, put no confidence in the flesh. Paul had all the reason to boast in the flesh of work because it gives a list of he was a, he was a good Jew. He was a faithful Jew. He was an obedient Jew. It goes on to say that he was even blameless as he lived this life out. He was even willing to persecute the church thinking he was right. Verse 6, and he was blameless. He did it perfectly. But Paul said, it's nothing. I worded it that way because it just impacted me greatly. As a pastor, what great encouragement you can tell somebody. Listen, you can find joy in the Lord. You can rejoice in the Lord because you know that there is a true gospel out there. In the world of total confusion, you know, it's like fake news. How many people just, I don't even know. I was sitting there thinking the other day on top of my head, can I just go to a, a website just to get the news? 
I don't even, you know, the news, not the slanted news, not the fake news, not the made-up news. I mean, it's just crazy. We live in a day and age. We don't even know what the news is anymore. Well, I can tell you this. We can know where the gospel is. We don't have to list everything that's wrong, but we can know that there is something that is right. Don't put any confidence in anything that is of the flesh, anything that you can do apart from Jesus Christ. Paul said, I've done it. I tried it. I mean, he, think about this. I'm on the road to kill these followers of Jesus Christ. Now, that's somebody that's got some zeal now. they got a mission. So their own mission, they're, they're finding their, their purpose in life by trying to live this certain way. And then he's on the road to kill believers, and he has a vision. Who shows up? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he says, you know what? I thought I was doing right, and I realized I was not doing right. And he's begging people, put no confidence in the flesh. You can't do it. You'll never work your way to please God. If you're a believer here today, put no confidence in the flesh. You don't have to do anything else to make God love you anymore. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? You don't have to do anything else to make God love you anymore. But what you do demonstrates your love for him and it pours blessings upon you. That is not, and Paul himself would say, does that give us right that we may continue in sin? Certainly not. So that grace may abound? Certainly not. There is a certain way that we should live as followers of Jesus Christ, but you don't have to do anything else to make God love you anymore. Jesus Christ took care of that. Have no confidence in the flesh. That's why we deny ourselves and take up the cross. It's not about me. I, I cannot do this in the flesh. I cannot do this in my strength. I cannot do this in my power. I heard a very well-known, good Southern Baptist pastor at Southern Seminary. He came through and preached in Trapel, and he, he did a little lunch. And he, one of those, if you want to come here, James Merritt, Dr. James Merritt, he preaches in, in Georgia. And he came through and did a little lunch. And I remember sitting there, you know, we all just, I love hearing preachers and everything. And he was talking about this and he was taking questions. And he, somebody asked me about being fed of the Spirit and, and having a, an ongoing, dynamic, Christian growing life and talking about the flesh and the Spirit. And he goes, oh, I can grow a church in the flesh. A lot of pastors can do that. And I sat there and I thought, that's true. I can grow a church in the flesh. I can be a good person in the flesh. I can be successful in the flesh. But who wants to do that? Would I not rather grow a church in the spirit and to be a good father in the spirit and be successful in the spirit? Some of us are not depending on what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ because you're pretty good in the flesh. Think how much better you'd be in the spirit. There's difference in being successful and being anointed. And the thing about being successful because of work, sooner or later it catches up to you. Paul says, have no confidence in the flesh. Notice what he said in verse 7. I count these things as laws. It's, that's a, a fine, it's an accounting term. Hey, I've marked it off. They don't mean anything to me. 
I've counted it as lost. Anything I've ever done is a, Paul says, hey, when I, when I met Christ, it wasn't no longer I. It was all about him. He said, I counted all as lost. They were worthless. They were meaningless. It was put down, forgotten about, never take up. Notice verse 7. But whatever gain I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I mean, you think about it. I, I, and can it be, singing that song, pay attention to the words of songs like that. Man, that'll make you want to shout. Woo! Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul says, listen, you can rejoice because there is a truth that we have grace and not works, no confidence in the flesh. We can rejoice because Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the truth of the gospel. I know there's a truth, so don't look out, look out for evildoers that are trying to get you to live accordingly not to the truth. There is a truth. That truth is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the truth the truth of the gospel. Back up to seven. I count it as lost. What do I count it as lost? I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Knowing intimately. That word know, as you track that word through scripture, there's a love there. It's a, it's a knowing. I love. It's, it's, a, it's an intimate relationship. I know Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's not a get out of hell free card savior. Been there, done that, moved on. It's not an intellectual decision that we do. You know, are you a Republican, Democrat? Check one. Are you a Christian? Check one. Are you this, that, another? Check one. Uh, Jesus, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord. Can you imagine Paul defending it? Where all that took place as he was in prison and martyred. One thing I do know, Jesus Christ is my Lord. He saved me. He breathed his life into me. I was on the road to persecute the church. He showed up. He showed me who he was. He showed me who I was. He showed me the remedy for that. He showed me the holiness of God based on the forgiveness of my sins. He became my Savior. He is my Lord. I have dedicated my whole life to him. That's what Paul is saying. He's rejoicing because he knows that Jesus Christ is the truth of that gospel. There is a truth and it is found in Jesus Christ. That I may gain Christ. Look at the wording there. That I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. One of the things that I think we're even guilty of and we share the gospel and I always kind of want to remind you this. We think about that we're, we're a sinner. And we tell people, you need to have your sins forgiven. And so we think of righteous, we think about being saved this way. This pen is my sin. And so we, we tell people, you need to get saved. You need to give that sin to Jesus Christ. And so we give that sin to Jesus Christ. He goes, he'll forgive you of your sin. And then you think, whew, my sins are forgiven. Okay, all we've done is gotten rid of our sin. So now we just go and live our life. We miss that. Think of it as, as a, your, your sin is a coat, it's a jacket. I don't have my jacket on this morning. 
And you say, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I admit, I believe, I commit my life to you. I know I'm a sinner. And we, and we take the jacket off of sin and we say, Lord, you died on the cross for this sin. Yes, I did. And he, he takes that sin from us. But what we don't realize in return of us giving him our sin, guess what he gives us? His righteousness. And he said, you are now clothed with my righteousness. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. How can I live out the Christian life? Because I'm living out his life through me. I'm clothed with his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? You are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and the spirit of God is abiding within you. That is amazing to think about. Yes, my sins have been forgiven, but I've also been exchanged that sin for his righteousness. That through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do you believe it? Have you trusted? Have you repented? All of this takes place and we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Christ even said it is by faith, by grace through what? Faith. Jesus says, come unto me, you weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. We place our faith in what Christ has done for us. He has taken our sin, but he has clothed us with his righteousness. That I may know, it goes on to say, I got to hurry. Verse 10, that I may know him. So rejoicing in the Jesus of the truth of the gospel Rejoicing that the lordship of Christ and his righteousness, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior's Lord. Notice that we gain Christ. We gain his righteousness through faith. Notice what it says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The verses 10 and 11, it has an already but a not yet feel to it, that you might know him, that you continue to know him, you grow in him. Think about earthly relationships. You get married, you know your spouse. Ten years later, you know your spouse. Twenty years later, you know your spouse. You ever been around that old couple that can finish each other's sentences? You know? Why? That you know. There's an intimacy, there's a progression, there's a growing. Paul says, listen. He is the truth of the gospel. Rejoice in the truth of the gospel in this Christ. As you gain Christ, you're going to know Christ. And it goes on to tell us that you're going to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, let's don't get crazy here. We're Baptists, all right? We don't start shouting. It might, make, it might liberate us a little bit. It is the blood that washes away. We love the, the blood. I, I'm a blood preacher. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. But what gives us the power to live the life? He rose again. I mean, there are times, I might do this on a Sunday morning. Y'all have to let the visitors know what's going on. We're going to be sitting down ready to preach, and I'm going to come through those double doors. On, I'll do it Easter morning. You ready for this, Joy? Don't tell you. I'll be done forgot by then. I'm going to come busting through those back doors, and I'm going to make about three or four loops through here and said, He's alive! He's alive! He's alive! He's not dead anymore! Woo! <laughs> Somebody needs to tell him we don't do that. We know he's alive, but we'd rather live like he's dead. 
I would talk to people about the gospel, but it's really none of my business, and you don't need to do that to people these days. I would say that there's probably an absolute truth out there, but, you know, who wants to be that guy? Okay, you're living like he's dead. In good New Testament Greek, he ain't dead. But we live like he's just dead. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh, my Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just got last week taken care of. Now, look, I don't want to do this week. What are we going to do that? He's alive. When he rose from the dead, he conquered Satan and the power that Satan had. He conquered sin. He conquered death. Where is thy victory? There's our victory. I can know him and the power of his resurrection. They've only given me four minutes to talk tonight. You think I'm going to be able to do that? I'm just going to play this sermon when it's my turn and just leave. Good gracious. He, can you imagine Paul? I, I get, I've been real caught up with it. Here's Paul sitting in the little wherever he was. And he's writing these words. Whether he wrote it or somebody wrote it for him, it was still through him. And he's listening and he's thinking about his life. He's, man, I know him. I know him. And the power of his resurrection, he rose again. And he's given us this life. That I may know the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Share in his sufferings. He suffered and died and he rose again. Paul suffered and died. He rose again. We're going to suffer and die and we'll rise again. That's the way it's supposed to happen. We want heaven down here. Heaven's not down here. We suffer and we die and we rise again. But we have the power to live the life. What changed Paul? The gospel changed Paul. And the resurrection changed Paul. The power of the gospel changed Paul. Then last. I'm about to skip some stuff. We rejoice in the hope we have as we live out the gospel. So number one, we rejoice that there is a true gospel. Number two, we rejoice that Jesus is the truth of this gospel. Number three, we rejoicing in the hope we have as we live out the gospel. He says in verse 12, okay, I, I've obtained the, this resurrected power, this resurrection from the dead, that I'm going to be raised one day. But he says, I'm not there yet. There's something else we've got to do. I'm going to let you in a little preacher's world a little bit. A lot of times I encounter somebody, and I, I like to talk about things anyway. I like to dialogue. I try to get into a conversation. I'm trying to get to the gospel as quick as I can. Kind of sneaky, I guess. A lot of times, this is what people say. <clears throat> I got saved. It'd be like a person that's not happily married. Well, I got married. I tell people I am married. I am married. I am a, a father. I am a pastor. Not, well, they voted me in. I am a pastor. I am a father. I am this. I am that. And we look at life, people say, well, I'm, I joined the church back in, well, I think it was back in the 80s somewhere. Well, I, no. Paul says, listen. I hadn't already obtained this or that I'm already perfect. I, I, wouldn't it be kind of neat to 
bump into somebody at Walmart. I always just bump into people at Walmart. It's my hangout spot. <laughs> Bars wouldn't look good, so I go to Walmart. <laughs> hey, you go to church anywhere? Well, I go, I, got, I, I joined you know, the Methodist Baptist Pentecostal Church back then, and I did something back then. Oh, okay. Then the next person says, you go to church somewhere? Whoa, do I go to church somewhere? Not only did I get saved back then, I'm living in the Christian life right now. I'll be going, whoa, glory. You looking for a good church? I'd love to have you. I mean, there's a difference. Well, I did something. No, I, I'm doing something. I hadn't, I'm not there yet. I get excited to think about it. I'm not there yet. Here's good news for you. I'm not there yet as a pastor. Some of y'all saying, well, praise the Lord, there is hope. <laughs> I look at it this way. The sermon's just going to get longer and longer. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm a Christian. I'm not there yet. Yes, my sins have been forgiven, and I'm grateful for that. If I die today, I'm going to heaven. But I don't count any of this. I'm already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. I'm his. I'm with him. Look at it from a literal standpoint. He has made me his own. I am his. Notice what he says in the end of verse 11. By any means possible. I'm, I'm going back and forth. By any means possible. Not already obtained. Not perfect. I'm just doing a, a little a quick little survey through the text. Not perfect. I press on to make it my own. Here's where my, my spiritual life comes in. I know that God saved me. I know that it's by grace through faith I've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. I know God did something just like God did something in Paul's life, but I also know that what I'm doing now, I am making it my own now. This is where our works do come into play. I am working. That's why so many people are here spiritually and so many people are there spiritually. And we have so many Christians we don't even know if they're Christian. And we have some Christians that we know are Christian. It's all in between because we're not making it our own. We're not growing in it. We're not realizing that we've not obtained it, that it's not perfect. I press on to make it my own. I forget what lies ahead, verse 13. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I'm already in Christ, but I'm growing in Christ. It's a not there yet but I'm still moving I'm excited about where I'm at I'm enjoying what's going on but I'm not there yet that's where Bible study and prayer and fellowship and coming to church you know I tell people oh, pastor you know somebody may call me and go pastor I got a friend that's got all these issues what do I need to tell them come to church just come to church and sit under the word sing songs of the faith rub elbows with one another Read your Bible on your own. Pray on your own. It's not hard. It's just not hard. I'm making it my own. I'm pressing on. I'm straining for what lies ahead. Notice verse 17. Brothers, join me in imitating me. Imitate faithful followers. I, lo I love older pastors. I love anybody that's doing a pastor. Imitate them. What are they doing? What did Paul do? What did the disciples do? What do we see in God's word that others did before us? That's what our hope is in. You think about those that have gone before us. That's our hope. Imitate others. Think about this. God told us to go make disciples. So I'm going to make a disciple. So someone's making a disciple unto me. So if I'm making a disciple. I'm making a disciple. 
but someone is making me a disciple. So I'm making a disciple, they're making a disciple, that making a disciple. See where that's going? I'm just looking ahead. I'm following a dude in front of me. I'm living that life. If they pour into me, I'm pouring into others. If they pour into me, I'm pouring into others. It's a constant pouring into. Be like an ancestry.com, a Christian.com, family tree. Who all poured into you? Next week, we're going to celebrate a, an older building. You think about how many sermons were preached over there, how many decisions were made over there, how many lives were invested over there. I literally got, I got kind of sentimental one day looking at some of the old bulletins over there in the teens and stuff and newsletters and stuff and thinking they poured in the others that 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 poured into you. And we got a generation following us. What's going to be left behind? Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, for many of whom I've often told you, and that's even more. So last thought. We need to remain faithful to the gospel. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example. Verse 18, for many of whom I have told you and tell you even now walk as enemies to the cross. They're in this destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is where? In heaven. And we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's our hope. I know there's a truth. That truth is Jesus Christ. And my hope is is in that truth that awaits. There's an already and a not yet. We're going to suffer. We should be growing. But we also need to be hoping. Then it says in verse 1 of chapter 4, stand firm in these things. That's where you make your stand. You want to make a stand, stand firm in that. Stand firm in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Letting go, straining forward as we, we think about what we have in Christ. Some of us need to just, some of us need to let go today. Some of us, today is the day we need to repent of our sin and place our faith. Today is the day of our salvation. Today is the day some of us maybe say, come to Christ. Just come to Christ. Leave, leave it all. Leave it, leave it. Let it go. Come to Christ. Begin to live right now for him, looking at, at that futuristic hope, that already and that not yet, and we just stand firm every single day. We rejoice in the Lord. We get up the next morning, we rejoice in the Lord. We get up the next morning, rejoice in the Lord. Write that across the top of every day in your calendar. Today I'm going to rejoice in the Lord because who I was and who I am and where I'm going. Stand firm. Thus, in the Lord, my beloved. Let's come to our feet and let's pray. Let's stand and let us, let us pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we thank you that we can stand firm in the gospel. We're grateful, Lord, that you have given us much to rejoice in, to place our hope in, and that it is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we have gone through these days, they're just days on a calendar, but I pray there have been days in our spirit, in our mind, in our heart 
And that as we have gone through these days, we have literally asked you, Lord, to, to refine us, to change us, to mold us, to, to allow us to see you for who you are so that we understand where we are in relationship to that, that we truly understand this personal, this dynamic, this salvific relationship that we can rejoice in and find our hope and our joy and our peace and our purpose. Lord Jesus, let us know you today. Let us rejoice in you today. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day just as Paul's day was, that you open up their eyes to the goodness of who you are and that they would see you for who you are and they would see that you would take their sin from them and then in return you would close them with your righteousness. Lord, I pray that today is the day of the salvation of many in here. But I also pray, Lord, that today would be a day that we as the church would get serious and right and joyful about our walk with you. You're not dead. You're alive. And as we sing, let this be a response to the word that we have heard and that we have trusted in. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.